A reading from Second Kings. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man send word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went. In, he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, "Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean?" So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. The Holy Gospel according to Luke. On the way to Jerusalem... Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. As Mother Teresa labored at the home for the dying in Kolkata, caring for the destitute, offering compassion to those deemed unclean and untouchable, binding the wounds of people who were misshapen and malnourished, she would sometimes turn to the people working with her and ask, do you see Jesus in them 
yet. You see, she had learned to look for God in unexpected places, unexpected situations, even in unexpected people. Which is exactly what we see in our readings this morning. God doing unexpected and surprising things. Things that would have been scandalous to the people who first heard them. Take this story about Naaman we heard. A foreigner. A commander of one of ancient Israel's enemies. A man with leprosy. When we think of leprosy, most of us picture what today we know and call Hansen's disease. People we picture in our minds disfigured and suffering. But in the ancient world, the term leprosy was actually used to cover all sorts of skin issues. If you had a boil or a rash, a burn, a recurring itch, that weird mole on your back, an ingrown hair, all of it could get you labeled a leper. And instead of the strong, mighty Naaman figuring out a way to heal himself, it's a slave who tells him how to get better. A slave who isn't even given a name in this story. And then later, it's another slave who helps Naaman overcome his pride and receive the healing he wanted. God's wisdom coming, God's healing powers working through not the rich and powerful, but rather the lowless, the lowly, the powerless, the poor. We talk about unexpected. But it's, it's more than that. Even the way Naaman was healed is unexpected and surprising. No prophet waving his hands and speaking a secret prayer, which I have on good authority is how they heal things at UMass. It's our 11th anniversary today, so I got to say something. Instead, Naaman is told to do something that he's probably already tried countless times to make himself well. He's told to go take a bath. And not even a nice bath. Because the Jordan River, we've written all sorts of songs and poems about it, but it's narrow and dirty. Yet this unimpressive, muddy water becomes the unexpected conduit of divine healing. But it's even, it's even more than that. Because remember, this is Naaman we're talking about an enemy of God's people, a commander who waged war against them, who killed and enslaved. Naaman's the bad guy. He's on the wrong team. He's not just a foreigner who doesn't believe in the God of Israel. He's an especially bad foreigner. And yet Naaman was healed by God. Do you see how unexpected Surprising how scandalous this is. God working through lowly slaves and muddy water. A dangerous, hated enemy who worships a foreign god being healed and made well. We see God in unexpected places, unexpected people, and working in unexpected ways. 
This morning, we also heard a story about Jesus traveling in the region between Samaria and Galilee. But here's the problem. There is no region between Samaria and Galilee. There's only a border, an important border that divided the Israelites from the Samaritans. See, hundreds of years earlier, the Israelites had split into two nations. And in 722 BC, the northern nation, whose capital city was Samaria, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Many of those northern Israelites were forced to be deported, sent to the edges of the earth. And the Assyrians brought in all sorts of people from other lands to come and live in this northern territory. And so the result was a land occupied by many different people, of many different nationalities and ethnicities and religions. There had already been tension between the north and the south. After all, they had split. And now the people in the south watched as those remaining Israelites in the north married these new foreigners, as the northern culture and religion was influenced by this foreign presence. So the southern Israelites considered these northern Samaritans to be dirty, idolatrous, despicable people, distant relations who had betrayed their heritage, betrayed God, and who were worthy only of scorn and judgment. And that's where we find Jesus. He's at the border with the dirty people, spending time with Samaritans. That's where he finds these 10 lepers who were required to live at the edge of society, away from everyone else so they couldn't spread their disease, lonely and ostracized, forced to yell if anyone came near so that they wouldn't make anyone else unclean. After Jesus heals them, one man comes back to say thank you, and we're told this man, this faithful man, the only one who returns to show gratitude, who was praised by Jesus, we're told this man was a Samaritan. And then Jesus lifts him up as an example of faith. I mean, do you see how unexpected, how surprising, and how scandalous this is? Jesus hanging out around the border, healing unclean lepers, spending time with Samaritans, and Samaritans who are faithful? We see God in unexpected places, unexpected people, and working in unexpected ways. These readings remind us that we were created by, that we worship and follow a God who has a well-documented history of being found in unlikely places, of working through the most unexpected people, of doing surprising and even scandalous things. God refuses to stay in any of the boxes we try to create to contain him. God readily crosses borders and ignores boundaries and transgresses so many of the divisions and taboos that we think are important. 
Human beings have always tried to project their image, our image, onto God, believing that God must be like us, that God must have the same wants, the same desires, the same needs, the same insecurities and fears and worldview, the same goals and ways of thinking that we do that God must care about the things we care about. But this is not true. God's ways are not our ways. And this morning, Jesus shows us that God doesn't care about a lot of the stuff we care about. God just cares about people. God doesn't care if someone's wealthy or poor powerful or powerless, mighty or meek, God loves everyone the same and will work through anyone to share that love. God doesn't care where someone is from about things like ethnicity or nationality. God rejects nationalism and exceptionalism and any sort of favoritism because all people are part of the same human family created by God, and we're all invited to be citizens of a shared kingdom that transcends our differences. God refuses to embrace the things that we use to divide people. And that's good news for us, because I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is still finding new and twisted ways to create hierarchy and division. If you've ever read The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, there's this great quote where someone asks if if Aslan, the, the person who represents Jesus in the story, he's a lion, they ask if he's safe. And in response, Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then Mr. Tumnus adds in, he's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. And they're right. God is not a being we can tame or control or restrain. God is not made in our image. It is we who were created in God's image which means that we should not be surprised to discover God showing up in strange places, working through unexpected people, and doing surprising things. After all, this is a God who turned a cross, a tool of death and torture, into salvation and new life. This is a God who proclaimed the good news of Jesus' birth, not in castles, but to shepherds living and sleeping in their fields. A God who chose fishermen and tax collectors as disciples and who ever since has been foolish enough to use a church full of us broken, sinful people to proclaim the good news to this world. I think most of us, if we stop and think about it, have some stories about God acting in unexpected ways, being found in unexpected places, and speaking through unexpected people. In my own life, it was a random, and to be honest, awkward person 
in my second semester of college who wouldn't leave me alone and whom God used to bring me back to the church and set me on the path towards being a pastor. It's been during some of the hardest times of my life when I felt God's presence the most clearly. And when I look back, I realize that God has changed me in ways that I never could have imagined or expected. We should not be shocked when the overlooked, marginalized, and unclean turn out to be prophets speaking the word of God or be scandalized When God works outside, prepare yourselves, the approved Lutheran channels. Or feel surprised when God speaks things we did not expect to hear and shows up in places we did not anticipate. In fact, we should rejoice and give thanks that this is who God is because life is going to take all of us to unexpected places, isn't it? And it's comforting to know that God will be there too. And because also I love all of you, but we're not particularly powerful or impressive people. And if God has a history of working through regular, ordinary folks, then there's hope for us too. And because there's so much brokenness in our world, and knowing that God is not limited to our human ways of thinking and being fills me with hope that healing and peace and reconciliation is possible. As we follow our unexpected God, perhaps the best thing we can do is simply be present and open open to the opportunities God is bringing our way, open to seeing God in the places and the people we least expect, open to no longer trying to project our ways onto God, but allowing God's ways to be written on our very hearts and souls. May it be so among us and through us. Amen. Oh,